Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast where ludicrous amount of damage is just not enough. Or as Hannibal said in the A-Team movie, because sometimes overkill is underrated. This week we are talking about nuking it from orbit, or you know, anything uh, of equivalence. <laughs> and when does it happen? Why does it happen? And what are our options? Because nukes aren't the only thing we can do. We're using nuke as a general all-purpose blanket term here, folks. Right, because everybody's seen, you know, uh, aliens. Then we get, again, it says we're still talking about weird, so the weird stuff. Okay, so far we're, we've been operating in the realm of science. Yes. Okay, now we're going to jump into the science fiction. You can send it to another dimension. There's been books I've read, just, you know, PDFs I've read where they'll do something like, well, how do you get rid of your waste or how do you get rid of this? Oh, we just made a, you know, our wizards made a portal and we send it all to the elemental flame, uh, plane of fire. Mm -hmm. As soon as it goes through, it burns up. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Right. AEG Sorcery and Steam. So this is a 3.0 product. But they had the steampunk town, what you mix with magic, and you had this city where, yeah, I mean, there were portals leading to various planes. Oh, they're going to Earth to mine for riches. And they just dump all their waste in the elemental plane of fire. So, you know, no garbage and the city is clean. And yeah. So sending something to another dimension is a real good way, and the in that, let's try this, the more inhospitable that dimension is, the better chance that you're just not getting rid of it, but you're destroying it. Again, the elemental plane of fire does wonders. Because other than gods and the Afridi, not much else survives there. Okay. Yeah, just a little term. To, again, we're, we give you information to help you gamers out. So Right. Uh, Farmhands Freehold, they drop a super nuke on uh, Colorado Springs. Oh, jeez. And it shunts a big chunk of it, especially the uh, underground shelter that Farmhand and his family are in, to, well, he thinks it's to another dimension. He thinks it's gone to, you know, someplace where humanity never, you know, Never developed. Others, other species developed, but we no, no humans ever did because there was no radio signals. No, the air was super clean, and there was no signs of uh, of, of any industrialization going on. And so they figured that they were, you know, in some kind of place like that until they found out the truth, which is important. There could be some device or spell or you know effect that go that you could set off in an area and shunt it to another spot. I mean, there's been some stories where literally aliens come down. It was an Outer Limits episode where they just beam down and just take an entire uh, an entire town and drop it on another planet for them to study. Uh, there's a story that where a, a 14th century town, medieval town, gets upped and dropped on a uh, another world. And even though they're 14th century, they still have a fair amount of technology compared to everybody around them. You know, and and uh, so you get this, you know, this magic versus tech. You know, them versus dinosaurs, or or saber tooth tigers and tribesmen, or whatever. I'm not gonna say it's a staple. It's actually not used that much, but hey, it's uh, uh, it, 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 if it gets rid of your problem, okay, you don't have to kill it if you just make it go far enough away. Yeah. Yeah. And you're basically taking everything around it just to make sure. So it's, it falls into that nuking aspect of it. Yeah. You have any more comments on that? Um, the only thing that comes to mind is in Robotech Macross Saga, where they fold not only the SDF-1, but the because they were only a couple miles in the air, and the fold bubble took the entire island to 70,000 people. Just, yeah, it just grabbed them and 
took them all away. That's the only thing that comes to mind for me. But right. yeah, um, sending to another dimension. Yeah, it's especially if the 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 problem at hand has no way of getting back. Now, doing it to something that travels dimensions. Yeah, that did. No, you're the, the you'll be seeing them again soon. Right. But. Sure, yeah. Unless you send them really, 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 really far away. <laughs> yeah. Cosmologically far where they have to travel through hundreds of dimensions to get back to this one. Yeah, then you're fine. You've bought Or even, you know, trillions of of light years. You know, you you send you send them like, you know, a uh, hundred thousand galaxies away. Yeah. Oh no. They're, yeah. By some fast track thing and they have to come back the the normal way of normal space drive, well, you know, it, that's something for your children to worry about, and grandchildren, and possibly, yeah. you know, may uh, it'll fall, it'll, it'll fade into legend, and then of course they show up, and you're like, but we didn't know it was really true. <laughs> we warned you. No, it's it's, it's they're just stories. <laughs> or you can send them to another time which is kind of like what happened to that one thing I was talking about in the um, Pleistocene-era novels by um, uh, Julian May. They send criminals back into the Pleistocene-era because no matter what happens, you know, they're, they're going to be gone by the time, you know, there's no way humanity is going to last long enough, you know, to impact the history of the, pres of the present world. So they're 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 perfectly fine doing that, uh, and you could you know, and the, I mean, you could theoretically send an entire area. And these are also you know ways of escaping being nuked from orbit. You know, as they did. I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's the one where um, they uh, it was the it was the library, and everybody got sent back to different points in time, and the entire planet had disappeared, and all that was left was the librarian tried to throw them back to different one or another time and Spock went back into some ice age and Kirk was in some uh, like 18th century thing and branded as a witch. That wasn't City on the Edge Forever, was it? No. No, 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 no. It's one of the times when um, uh, Spock, you know, basically got his uh, romance on. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Spock in the Ice Age. Okay, yeah. I remember the episode. Yeah. Because he had gone back in time before they did that whole, you know, uh, uh, not Pon Far, but the whole expiation of their passions on the uh, out on the desert. They adopted Surak's policies of logic, yes. Yeah, so basically because, it, and of course that doesn't, it makes no sense to me, but, uh, you know, because this was before that had happened, he no longer, you know, for some reason, he didn't feel like he, you know, that he had to abide by that, and he reverted to a a earlier, more savage version of a Vulcan. Yes, Kirk had to try to convince him to come back to the to the to the future. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, these things can be used to escape too. But yeah, you send something to another time. Uh, send it far into the future so you have time to prepare for it or send it so far into the past that it's not going to survive, yeah. It's not going to survive long to cause a problem. In Bureau 13, uh, what some people, uh, what Nick Pallotta did in Banger, Maine is he had this, basically it was a uh, like a cornucopia of time and the further you went down it, the far, you know, the, the slower time was until basically you threw somebody into that far into slow time, then uh, either nothing would ever happen, they'd be frozen in time, or you'd send them to the other end where time was so fast that if they didn't, if they didn't break out in the next second, they were dead. Oh, okay. Because so much time had gone by. For things that like, will live forever, but you, you, know, you, can, you can restrain them. Okay. That's one way of getting rid of those things. And of course, you'd have to have some kind of, I don't know, uh, 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 artificiality or you know some some artifact to go and, and deliver that to an entire town. Like bring a dune. 
Yes. Brigadoon uh, prayed to God that uh, that his town might be spared the ravages of the immorality of the present age. And he gave, he stayed outside of, of the borders to, to prove he was how far, much he was willing to sacrifice. And uh, God answered by putting Brigadoon into a little pocket dimension that only appears once every hundred years. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. It was talk a, a, a fairly quick, a fairly quick way of, of time travel. You, know, you just basically says, "Okay, it's been five days, five hundred years." You know, it's just, it's, it's you know, let's go leave <laughs> or something. I mean, uh, eons would go by in a, in, a nor- in a normal person's lifetime. So maybe at the uh, you you finally come out and uh, it's, it's the plan of the apes. Yeah, I, I'm kind of doing something like that with my Bureau 13 game where it's the whole, you know, the microverse of D&D world. But what I'm having is in order to, because the camping was originally supposed to be, yeah, we're going to adventure through from, you know, the brass and steam era through the 20th century. And you guys, oh, you're going to be during World War One and then you're going to be, you know, the female agents are going to be flappers and then, you know, World War Two and then the. I'm wanting to move forward a little. So I put them in this microverse. And what I'm doing is every hour in the microverse is a day in real, in the real world. So it's 24, you know, times. Yeah. So yeah, they, I figured it out that, yeah, given enough time being in this microverse, they're going to come back and it's going to be decades later, just depending on how long they stay. I mean, they have a mission. Oh, we have to make the gate spell to get home. Fine. That's 63 days, 63 times 24. Every month you spend in it is two years. Yeah. So basically they're going to be gone a little over four years. Well, other things happen. They're going to end up spending because the wizard. Yeah. There's going to be certain times where that wizard's not going to be able to vote the eight hours a day to working on the spell research. So this may go on, and they may be gone more than the four years. But yeah, it's this. So that time travel like that, due to time differential, can really mess up things. And you could think, oh yeah, no, we've only spent time here. You know, we've only been here two months. What do you mean it's now 1934? You know. So yeah, going that that time, and if there's time differential, that really puts things askew. Time uh, pushes things far enough. Time could even be a, a, another dimension. Those those things are actually fairly interchangeable when you look at uh, quantum physics. Yeah. Number eight is nanobots. You know, the great thing about nanobots is is that until until they do something, they're really hard to tell if they're even there. So you know, I mean, uh, when we talk about um, uh, utility fog and things like that. You know, we're, uh, I mean, it looks like a, like a mist around people, but it's actually billions of nanobots that are prepared to take action corporately and can have real, real world effects. So if you have a maker box, uh, like a lot of them, you could place them all over an area and then, you know, it seems like it's a misty day. And then all of a sudden you send the signal and boom! Yeah, and it's basically just getting on their little wi- hacking into their what would pass as Wi-Fi, and just yeah, you could sit there and really just oh, it's fog. What do you mean now? We're all trapped. Um, I've been using nanobots a lot in my Thursday, like the superhero game. Um, there's a source. Okay, it was. For, do you remember the old company from Canada, Guardians of Order? Yeah. Okay, Mark McKinnon ran that. He did a science fiction, it was a setting, science fiction setting called Centauri Nights. Mm-hmm. And you had the alien civilization that was gone. And so these humans find the planet out in Alpha Centauri and they start finding all this nanotech stuff. Where, yeah, we come to this habitat on the planet and it's all foggy in here. That's not fog. And you find out that when you are, because they have these mind crystals that the humans can wear them and adapt to them. And they end up having to learn the language of the aliens, which they call Osirian because they gave everything Egyptian names. Mm -hmm. So you learn the Osirian and you can use these crystals that, that stick to the forehead and you can start manipulating 
the nano fog, you know, into utility fog. And the term that they gave these people were fog witches. Now, granted, it could be guys or gals that could do this. But, yeah, you have one of these Osirian crystals on your forehead. And if you're there around all this nano fog, you could do some serious stuff. I mean, you can make weapons. You can, you know, throw a wall in front of somebody. And it simulated magic. So, yeah, it, that's another good resource if you want to try to find out what you can do with utility fog. And I believe it was Portals 2 that Rich put that in, where you had, like, the utility fog belt that allowed you to manipulate the nanites on that whatever world it was. I forget what it was. Yeah, I, I, I basically, you know, jumped up and down on him for for decades, saying you should really include this. And he finally did put it into something. I don't know where. Yes. But it, 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 he, I, he never really got across how amazingly useful such a thing would be, I thought. But he had listed as being like, yeah, you know, some kind of Tamelaran technology that could yeah. use some cool stuff. Yeah, it was like you could, you know, force fields, shackles. There's another PDF, and I'm blanking on what it is, but I use it where the if you manipulate the nanites, I mean, you can make shackles, you could... I mean, you could even go as far as they could reprogram your genetics where you end up with, like, mutations and stuff. It could be like a gigantic CRISPR. Yeah, absolutely. See, the whole idea of utility fog, for those of you who are, have, haven't heard of this before on this podcast, uh, is that you have these little nanobot machines, but they're they're not just like, you know, a couple of... Uh, they're, you know they're 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 tiny, but they they're they're real machines. They can be programmed and everything. And one of the things that they have is they have these extrudable extrudable legs or shafts or whatever like that that they can then go and attach to other nanobots that are in this fog. Okay, which is just them. And because of that, they can create any kind of structure you want. They can emit light and therefore give the appearance of an object. You know, even give a surface effect of touching it because you're pressing against where all the nanobots are connected together and yeah. you actually have a surface, even though, you know, really there's nothing really there and it looks real. So essentially, you're, everything around you can become a virtual reality. You're in a virtual reality room, but it doesn't look like that because the nanobots are tiny. Okay. But if you want to think about the damaging aspects of them, you know, the way you're talking about it is that they have to lay themselves next to each other, one after another, to create so that when your molecules come up against it, they're supported by the object they're pressing against. So it seems firm. You get a sensation of touch. Yes. They could separate themselves out just enough that you basically have a diamond web around you. And if you move in any direction, you're going to cut yourself into tiny, tiny bits. The imaginative possibilities in gaming alone, if you got a guy who's like really good with... And that's what, as a matter of fact, Josie's character in the Thursday night game, basically, inner city vigilantes augmented by alien nanotech. Mm -hmm. So her character is named Fogwitch and effectively... Pathfinder terminology, she is a sorceress with the nanite bloodline from People of the River, the Pathfinder supplement about Numeria, where, you know, it's a barbarian land, but ships crash and they have nanotech there now. So, yeah, that's basically Josie's character, where she's doing magic. Well, no, it's the nanobots doing this, and of course Josie's even playing. No, no, it's magic. Just shut up and go with it. It's magic. And we're like, <laughs> fine, it's magic. Yeah. And and so it's high enough level technology. I mean, and we have the spell list, and we explain these are how the spells are. Oh, it's fireball. Well, the nanites are agitating agitating the air enough where it combusts and it acts like a fireball. Or they're just simply emitting heat. Yeah, that too. You know, it's like so we've come up with all these ways to come about with how these spells, Pathfinder spells out of the core rulebook. And just and it's all due to the nanites that she's manipulating, that she has this connection with. And I mean, they even make her costume. She's got, you know, like the hooded cloak and she's there floating in midair and just, yeah. You know, she's like Doctor Strange there in Infinity War before he separated into a million of them. But yeah, that's what Josie's character is. And it's just the applications we're using for the nano, the nanites that she had, the character has within her. Yeah, I'm explaining, why'd you give me this spell? 
And I explain, and she's like, oh, I'm like, uh-huh, yeah. So what can be done with nanites as far as a game, just a game component, is limited by imagination. Right. But you certainly can use it to basically do the equivalent amount of damage of a nuke. Because if every time that these things connect to one another, you've essentially created a monomolecular blade... You can literally buzzsaw an entire city down to the ground with no trouble whatsoever. Yeah. Or Godzilla, possibly. Yeah. As long as he can't regenerate faster than he's being destroyed. And there are stats for Grey Goo in, I want to say, either Bestiary 4 or 5. There are stats for Grey Goo because they brought it in through the Numeria uh plot line in the Iron God's Adventure Path. Yeah, so there is nanotech in Pathfinder. You can, and of course, all third-party products now are, you know, running with, oh, they're doing technology in the setting. Boom, and just, you got hundreds of PDFs for it. But yeah, um, again, nanotech, I mean, you can get really imaginative if you wanted to take an enemy out with it because of what the, the monofilament blade. Yeah. Cutting an entire city. Ooh. Yeah. I think there was a, I think there's one of the worlds where things were sheared off. You go through the portal and just everything is sheared. And I'm thinking it was like some type of force effect. No, I just now realize I'm going to probably look in the big blue binder after we're done here and be like, find that world said, yep. Monofilament blade, cut everything real close. Okay. So maybe Rich listened to you a little better than you thought you did. <laughs> thought he did. <laughs> I mean, Richard played things very close to his chest. So, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 I yeah. mean, there's lots of times he he did stuff that I suggested and, and, and I didn't get credit for it, but I never cared because I just wanted his game to be better. Right. So, right. you know, and, and, you know, I, and, and get, seeing your cool ideas and, you know, in, in a game is always a cool thing. So, yeah. Let's see. It says, seems impractical due to area, but if you can produce them, maybe not. Yeah, I'm talking about if you, you know, I mean, some people, they say, I got this bag full, this, this bottle full of nanites. Okay, well, you know, there's a lot of nanites, but it's, it can't cover a big area. If the nanites either, A, have the ability to reproduce, which which most everybody says is thinks is a bad idea. So instead, because it's inefficient, uh so instead, you have the nanites that act, and then you have these larger devices that make nanites, okay, makers. And yeah. so as long as you have enough of the makers, you can spread them around a large area, and before you know it, you've got utility fog covering an entire city. Uh, I'm reminded of the first G.I. Joe movie where Destro fired the nanotech missile at the Eiffel Tower, and it, tower and it just disintegrated it. Because, and there was a signal that you could get to stop the nanites, but basically they would not only hit and devour, it, it was gray goo, basically, because they hit, they devour, and they make more themselves, lather, rinse, repeat. That's another, if you want a visual representation of what gray goo can do, the first G.I. Joe movie, the Eiffel Tower scene, that'll, that'll put it all in your mind right there, folks. Despite how the movies were, they did have some good examples for what we're talking about. So, final one. Here we are. Engineered disease. Engineered diseases can be very, very clever. For example, you can engineer a disease that can live in, say, a dog or a cat or a bird or a squirrel and not hurt and them. Just, and they're just carriers, yeah. They're carriers. But at some point, they change and they jump species, and they hit people, and suddenly you've got a plague that's killing people within 24 hours. Well, that that's what they're saying about AIDS, that it was in the green monkey, and it was carrying it, and then something happened, and it it crossed species, and yeah. So that's one of the many things that you know, they say what the source of AIDS was. And, just, and it's funny, this one hits home. My girlfriend is in the Saturday game where I, you know, commonly known as Fur. Fur's name is Jennifer. She is playing, and this is just one of those things, just another day in a bureau. A 19th century Victorian woman who is a high druidic priestess. She came to modern day, 
gained alien biotechnology. She is using the auto dock on board the Enchanty ship that Team Candlestick has to make an engineered disease to incapacitate and kill an ooze that can manipulate the environment. Like it can make rocky arms come out and slam. And this is like an epic level monster. So first sitting there at the opposite end of my table and she says, well, wait a minute. It's an ooze, right? I said, yeah. And I had the bestiary there and she hasn't gamed in a long time. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm edging her back in. She goes, it's still a living creature. It's not a robot. It's not, I said, no, it's, it, it, it's a organic life form. Make a disease. And I'm just looking at her and I'm like, wait a minute, you have an Enchanty auto talk. Gave her the feet out of um, Other Verse America called Germ Warfare Expert. And it's like medical expert, craft pharmaceutical, and heal, you know, at certain ranks. Mm-hmm. She got them and I said, okay, fine. By the rules here, it's going to take you six months to brew this in the auto dock. But once you do, you will have this disease made to take out this CR-30 creature. Your guys' job is to administer it without angering. I was about to really cause an editing problem there. Angering the 300-year-old blue dragon that this ooze is possessing and augmenting. So, yeah, it can be done. It's like if you have somebody with massive resources and the skill... Engineered diseases can do wonders because, and and this particular thing for uh, Scorch Earth Studios, they put in, okay, you need to make the, the heal treat injury check, obviously, but it gives you what raises and lower the DC. Oh, you've done a, con- a computer simulation. Oh, you have genetic material of the creature in question. Oh, you're spending this much time doing it. Oh, you have to make it quick. So that heightens the DC and just, it gives you this particular PDF gives you rules about how to go about making germ warfare. And so fur is doing this and, and she's every so often because, you know, every game session or two a month advances is my, is my disease ready yet? <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. Hi, honey. Yeah. <laughs> just, and I'm like, no, you have another month. But once you do, you guys will have to, you know, get it ready and get it, get it ready for administering. <laughs> you have to reverse immunize the patient. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, this one, again, would be along the lines of a lot of work, a lot of time. This is something that you're going to need, you can't just whip it up. A fuel air bomb, you can make that hack less than 24 hours. Engineering diseases, not so much. This is something that you realize that this is the long-term in-secret type thing where the enemy doesn't know that you're making a disease that can wipe them out due to their biology. Like if you have an alien invader and you've got, you know, like medical staff, deep below the CDC or out in Cheyenne Mountain out in, you know, the Rockies or some type of, you know, medical facility hidden away. If you have the time to do that and the resources and and the secrecy, yeah, then you could pull this off. But yeah, this is not going to be a quick fix, short, you know, oh yeah, we'll have this done 24 hours. No. And engineered disease, you mentioned Independence Day. The virus, in a way, is along those same lines. Obviously, it would take a little less time to to whip up something like that. But it could fall under that same kind of, you're making something to specifically take out a certain type of enemy, whether it is biological or technological. I mean, I know why they did it, but, you know, because they needed to finish the movie quick. But a, bio, a biological solution would have made a lot more sense against the uh, uh, aliens than a... Uh, and because they had them captured, so they had plenty of time to sit there and, you know, they had the one that, you know... I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not doing a spoiler because the sequel to Independence Day came out like a year ago. 
the the character played by Brent Spiner, you find out he's alive. So it's like it. I thought you know everybody thought he got his neck broke. No, so they had the beings there for twenty years, and then also I think they were there from Roswell. So by the time the ID two came out, they had these beings down there for sixty years. They would have had more than enough time to to get the science. But not only that, but you know, when in the second one, they were in a spaceship that had its own biome. I mean, it was you know they they were growing stuff inside the spaceship, huge you know uh, waterways and and plants and things like that. So it would to me this was. If they knew about this, you know, this would be really easy to infect this, and before they know it, you know, it, they're all they all come down with it, whatever yeah. it is that you're trying to give them, you know, because it 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 would be all by secondary means, you know, it wouldn't be them like you know you you came into contact with the humans and therefore you're sick, so burn all the humans. No, it'd be like well, you know, the humans snuck on board and and did this, and now every time I we come back with our spaceship, half the crew gets sick and dies. For long, they're basically blowing up their motherships because it's the only way to get the infection out. Yeah. Things like biological weapons are really, really dangerous in the regards of how tenacious they are. Yeah. If you have a closed environment, it's really, really hard to keep them contained. Uh, you know, in some of the stories that have tried to be more realistic about space travel, you know, the inside of spaceships are like constantly, they have humidity problems, molds are growing on the walls. There's all kinds of issues about, you know, keeping, it's not like Star Trek where everything's nice and clean and, you know, it yeah. looks like it's freshly laundered, okay? People are constantly trying to keep from getting trench foot and other things like that because of how much moisture is just in the air. And as a result, you know, any kind of a disease is just going to run rampant. Well, why do you think an enclosed area like airplanes and even at cons? Yeah. And and you and I both know this. We've been going to cons, you know, me 25 years, you add 10. I mean, just we can say this. Anything I've done in Geekdom, Bruce has about 10 years more experience on me. And you know how it gets when we're all in that hotel together. And it is the term that I've had to explain to my coworkers of, and I wish I had Reaper for this. Con where... There's one person who's damn patient zero, and you, everybody gets sick because of them. Because you're all in this hotel. I mean, it's not hermetically sealed, but let's face it. Most most of us at cons don't leave, really leave the hotel at a con. We're there. We might step outside to go to a McDonald's nearby. But usually we're there for the, the 60 hours in that hotel. Everybody's together. The elevators are all being used. You're all there at the restaurants. Who cleans the handle on the door out of the bathroom? And it just spreads. So that patient zero touches it, and because he did, because they didn't wash their hands afterwards, and everybody after that gets a nice dose. Wow, it gives clarity and meaning to Rob Balder's song "Gamer Funk." Or you go up to the con suite, and there's this huge bowl of, of potato chips that people just reach into and grab a handful of. Things fall out of out of the handful, you know, and plop it on their plates, you know. I mean, yeah, it's so many opportunities. Or, you know, you got some kind of a rave and everyone's right next to each other, jumping up and down, sweating on each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyways, so I'm just saying is that in, uh, it's in the right, and especially uh, there are times of the year when everybody says this is cold season because of the whole moisture, heat, cold thing going on. So there's times in in the year when you know putting out a plague uh, is is almost easy. Well, why do you think they had the concept of Legionnaires' disease? Yeah, it was the whole point of, and this was like, oh God, it was at first like 20, 30 years ago. And it was during a Legionnaires convention, you know, and I guess it was something funky in the air conditioning system. It just spread because it was getting blown all over. It was a mold. Yeah. And we thought it was fine. And then like last year, I heard about Legionnaires diseases back. And my girlfriend at the time, Miranda, who's a nursing student, you know, we're talking about it. Now she's talking about it from purely medical standpoint. 
And there was a bit of an age difference, so I'm getting my chops busted about, yeah, because you were there. I said, well, I wasn't there, but I mean, I remember when it first came out 25 years ago, you know, watch, you know, watch the sass lady, you know, but in just, it was because you're in that enclosed space for a convention. It was uh, like Legionnaire, I'm trying to remember what group it is, but they named it that because it was at that type of convention and just both. they're called legionnaires yeah but i mean it was like the american legion or whatever yeah it's the american legion okay all right and remember that's just a hotel that's not hermetically sealed now you get into even an airplane and you know how diseases get and it's not it that's why we have all the problem with swine flu sars and all these other things because you got the one person who's bringing it over from asia or europe or whatever and you're in this pressurized tube flying through the air where no germs are getting out. So you have now a hundred and some odd people has this thanks to patient zero coming on a business trip. So, yeah. And then imagine a spaceship, which even has to be further sealed to protect you from the vacuum of space. And that's why as a certain person didn't get to go on the Apollo um uh, I, I was it th- Apollo 13 flight because they thought he'd been exposed to measles or something or the flu. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they, they do health checks before you go up in space. You know, the whole scene. Well, but but he it, it was too soon for him to show symptoms. So he wasn't allowed to go. And instead, they sent up the alternate. As it turned out, it was a good thing because he's the one who figured out how to bring him home. Oh, OK. And if, and if he had been in space, he wouldn't have been able to do that. Maybe somebody else would have stepped up. Maybe not. So this is one of those things where, you know, it was fortuitous, you know, that some that something that basically, you know, ruined his one chance to go to the moon. Saved his friends, yeah. He got to bring everybody else home. So that's a pretty good legacy. But yeah, it's uh, it, it, there's lots of opportunities. You know, diseases. You know, we we still have diseases because they are uh, they 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 jump species. They uh, are you know uh, people are carriers, um, and usually um, they are very easily mutable. Yes, we have. Oh, the thing that we're hearing about now, and this has to do with global warming and the ice caps melting. There's been diseases that were, tra- let's say there was a corpse that died 20,000 years ago from this disease. And it got frozen in the ice and okay, fine. We're, well, we've got now our polar ice caps are melting. And I'm not going to go into a rant about climate change, but it is a fact. Our polar ice caps are melting. So we have all these diseases that were 20,000 years ago now getting released as these big chunks of ice are falling into our ocean. So it's in our water. And after a while... It, it's already been proven. We have, you know, it, it's already been found out by the CDC and the World Health Organization. We now have access to diseases that, that have not been around in millennia. And we have to be prepared for them because all of a sudden we're going to have this new super flu or some other type of viral infection or whatever that was in these corpses from 20,000. And it could have been a human, it could have been an animal or whatever, but the the material left from the corpse has now gotten into the water and just so yeah we have that now to deal with and that is another problem with you know diseases against your enemies and just it's stuff we don't even know about because we have no i mean it could be like a version of a flu so we'd have okay well it's in it's a mutated form of influenza well let's try this and uh, you know we have a bit to go on, but because it's so radically different from anything we've had here in the world, you know, over the past couple hundred years, it might as well be a whole new disease because it has only superficial, because the flu viruses have mutated over all this time. And that's why when you get flu shots, it only helps against certain types of influenza. And just, you now have, this new new strain of flu. And I remember a few years ago, and I think you might have heard of this, Bruce, where we had the bad batch of flu vaccines. Well, they just weren't effective. Right. And just we had more than a more than a usual amount of deaths from the flu. 
and it was because this bad batch of flu vaccine. So diseases just, if you're willing to put in game the time and effort in to do this to take care of an enemy, they can be especially dangerous, but you have to take into account, and you can work this into the game, that it doesn't cross species. It's going to be you know, enough where it's not going to mutate and bite you guys in the butt, so to speak. And just that that's something we talked about when Fur and I and Team Candlestick 2.0 went on this bent. Okay, we're going to make this disease to go after this genius loci, this ooze. Okay, you are dealing with a totally different life form. It is not humanoid in any way. It's sort of like a gel with a malignant intelligence okay, we need to do this, this, and this, we need to, and so we sat there, and it took up a good 15, 20 minutes as I, you know, told everybody the DC and what you're doing, and and she made the role, and just, I said, okay, we have covered all the bases here, we have made, and none of us are medical experts at all, just not, not a single person at the table at the time, but we all plotted out and made sure we don't want this coming back, biting us in the butt (laughs) because it's like, do you really want to be, you know, the Omega level team ends up taking out the planet because they made a disease that got out of control. And so I held them to task on that to make sure. And in the game, I said, okay, you realize if this, you know, goes South, you're, you better have a cure ready, you know, any antidote just in case. And so I played that out and explained it to them as best I could, the repercussions of, okay, you are making a disease. You are creating a virus to affect this alien life form. And so, as I said, we plotted it all out. And I said, your thing is just time. It's just the fact, with the rules here, it's going to take six months to brew this up but yeah engineered diseases i mean you're going to have some morality issues oh yeah you're going to have people going going remember that's why we brought up in the beginning we said is that this is a nuke from orbit situation where you know morality isn't really a question surviving is the question well, because a virus is life, so it's like you get into the guy. It's like, do we have the the right to make new life to specifically for the purpose of killing? And I mean, you can get into some religious things at the table, which I try not to bring religion into the game in that way. But I mean, it would make for good role playing. Do you want? To, I mean, do you? You know, again, conflict makes good role playing. Something that Bruce voiced a few years ago on the podcast, and it's become one of our mantras here, and just. You're going to get that one person who might be, yeah, he's a doctor. He has the skill to do it. But does he have the desire? Is he going to want to sit there and be responsible for making a formal life specifically designed to kill other life? And then you get into, you know, as long as you don't let it get too out of control at the table, it's like, okay, you're doing this, but you're saving 7 billion lives. In the long run, I mean, I think, the adulation of knowing that you helped save humanity will help you sleep at night considering what you did. Just want to weigh that out there, Doc. Yeah, yeah on, they did it on the blacklist where somebody had some plague and everybody in their, you know, in the group said, yeah, we got to do this to make the world better. And they all basically infected themselves and went out and spread it as far and wide as possible. Oh, oh, wow. They, they were dying for their cause. Now, this was, what, enemies that Red and the FBI were fighting, or was this... Yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, this guy was basically an eco-terrorist. He, oh, yeah. He believed that, you know, in order to draw, draw attention to people doing this kind of work, you know, without oversight, uh, he, he said, you got, uh, I got to wake you up. I got to cause a terrible plague to happen, you know, and you guys are, are not going to be able to just draw you know a blanket over it and claim it was this or that you're going to have to explain to the american people what happened and how you're going to keep it from happening and who else in the government might be doing the same thing so 
that it was all you know about brinkmanship and such. Except that the, the point of brinkmanship had gone past. He was saying, okay, you know, I, I've, been, I've, done, I've done as much talking as I can. Now it's time to force you to do something. So that's yeah. what it was about. I would recommend people watching it because they do uh, in the the show Blacklist. Uh, a lot of times they do get into these morally ambivalent areas, so it's it's good theater. Yeah. Well, yeah. Considering it's like you're using a criminal to fight other criminals, it's like how far down the morality rabbit hole is Liz and the FBI? And I know her boss is played by I want to say Harry Lennox, and he played uh, Commander Locke in the Matrix movies him um yeah how far are we willing to go not only do i let ourselves basically be used by red reddington the concierge of crime but what are we willing to do to stop these people when is it that the quote-unquote lofty ideals of the american government when do we start becoming really tarnished and where we're gonna be ashamed of ourselves and what we've done using red's information yeah so that the morality plays. I've only seen the first season of the blacklist. I just fell behind. Yeah. I may have gotten access to another season, but well, it's on Netflix, all five seasons. Okay. So even then just, you're going to have just on the basis of the series itself, incredible morality issues coming up every week. And this can be brought out in role playing at the table if you use an engineered disease to take out the aliens, the demons, whatever, and just be prepared for hopefully just the characters getting in heated discussions. That's another thing that GMs have to watch out for that. Um, that GMs are going to be trying to not get it where the players start getting mad at each other because their personal views might come into play. That's that's the sign of a good GM that you can balance that to keep it just within the characters. So, But again, as we say, conflict makes for good role-playing. So just be prepared for it when you use this final thing because of the character's background and hopefully not the players getting involved in that way. So... Yeah, I mean, it's you know, do we have a right to destroy another species? Yeah, basically, it, genocide. Yeah, a, a lot of these are at least attempts at it, and you know, and and, and those who survive, you know, are probably going to be imprisoned or you know, taken out by more normal means, and you know, if they're lucky, they'll be able to escape the planet and, and fall back to someplace else. But more often than not, it's one or the other. There's a lot of evidence uh, that basically you know, Homo sapiens are, you know, dominated the planet by killing off anybody who was a real threat. Yeah. Rewind to the point that I said. <laughs> One of the two things we do really well. If we don't like or understand something, we will do our best to obliterate it. Yeah. We, we don't share very well sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we do. So it's just like, you know, and that's where I always said is that, you know, you always need to... Uh, you know, finds you know some way of of uh, making the other person realize that it's to their advantage to not kill you, and and that's something I think is missing from a lot of stories and things like that. This this concept of enlightened self interest. Make yeah, make yourself useful. Yeah. <laughs> We can do things that you can't, you know, or we're willing to do things that you don't want, you know. And that's there's a niche for us because of that. In, in the same way, you know, uh, the whole um, a, uh, alienation. Uh, yes. They immediately started working in in factories and under conditions that OSHA would not allow because it didn't even hurt them. They right. thrived in those conditions, which I thought was much more interesting than what was done in, um, was it uh, District 9? where they just basically kept them locked up, you know, yeah. and uh, fed them cat food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've seen both of those. And the Alien Nation series, even though it lasted for one season, like a couple of TV movies, was wonderful because it was, in some ways, the epitome of social commentary. Yeah, it really was. It was definitely social commentary. And, you know, considering uh, we had, uh, one of the things that came out was the fact is that it took three uh, three different versions of the aliens to make a baby, it falls right into our modern day narrative of uh, you know non-binary sexuality. 
Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because you had the the male, the female, and the I think the, um, it it was the janitor, the kid who played the janitor was it was like the Burnham or something, and they needed that one to. He basically made her fertile. So yeah, and looking back now, we're kind of dealing with gender acceptance and awareness where you have it's not a binary it's a spectrum and i have many friends online who describe themselves as non-binary where it's like okay i feel i'm neither male nor female i am just and and they call themselves an nb and it's spelled e-n-b-y and it took me a while to realize nb ah, i see what they did there but yeah it just it was more social commentary that we can say it was ahead of its time because that came out, what, the 90s, that series in the movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So 25 years, very a very prescient film. It is television, weekly television. So it does, you know, it's not not everyone's going to be gold. But at the same time, is, is it uh, there were some really, you know, really good things, you know. Uh, my favorite part was where they had the aliens go home kind of thing, and it was being held by a black man. Yeah, uh, and you're just like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and they and and the the main character goes up and says, he says, I'm, I, you know, he says, how how could you? And the guy just looks at him and turns around and walks away. You know, because yeah, forty years ago, this was they were doing this to your parents so just yeah your yeah exactly your 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 relatives it's not that far it's not, this guy probably was a child when it happened so because he was like in his 40s that was standing yeah there. so like i said there there are moral implications to use to nuking it from orbit we really hope that you will look at that and can and make that part of your nuking from orbit scenario uh, but at the same time, we really hope you get a chance to nuke something from orbit uh, in whatever form you decide to take it. Because, as they said, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there's nothing penultimate about this one. <laughs> Definitely our next episode will be penultimate because uh, we're still doing this. But you'll have to wait until next week. So until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.